The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. First and goal. Touchdown, Iowa. Robinson splashes in, and the Hawkeyes cap their opening drive with a score. Flag on the play. Todd Ransom is our referee today. Legal participation. 12 men on the field of the defense. That penalty is declined. The result of the play is a touchdown. The extra man didn't help the Panthers, as you noticed. Going strength on strength with that offensive front from the Hawkeyes. Adam Robinson just barreled into the end zone. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the season's first football show from Hawkeyes Mike. The Iowa Eastern Illinois game highlights are courtesy of the Big Ten Network with Tom Hart, Anthony Heron, and Lisa Byington. A good job calling the game. Anthony Heron's especially insightful and, of course, very familiar with the Hawkeyes program. We very much appreciate it and thank them. These football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefens Botanicals Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. On this week's show, you'll have the chance to hear Marv Cook's thoughts and a new Reporters Roundtable segment featuring Hawk Central's Pat Hardy and Hawkeye Insider publisher Rob Howe. You'll hear from the opposing coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Iowa State's Paul Rhodes. We'll take a look at the Big Ten Conference, and we'll also preview the Iowa-Iowa State game. And during the course of the season, we hope to hear from you, the Iowa fans. We invite you to share your comments by calling 866-74-HAWKS. Stanzi starts perfect and now checks at the line first and goal, Hawkeyes. Robinson, his second score of the day. Steady diet for the sophomore tailback, Adam Robinson. And it, it sets up up front. The offensive line, of course, getting movement. But what happened with that fullback, Brett Morris, the senior, the 240-pounder? It was a thing of beauty. Robinson had five touchdowns last year. He's got two in the first 10 minutes today. The Iowa Hawkeyes opened the highly anticipated 2010 season with a dominating win over Eastern Illinois, defending Ohio Valley Conference champion and a top 20 ranked FCS opponent. This game required no last second heroics, as was the case last year when Iowa opened with UNI. There were no significant injuries and only one enforced penalty. The Hawks did nothing to dampen their fans' enthusiasm or to hurt their national top 10 rankings. Heading into next week's in-state rivalry, against Against Iowa State. Both teams were missing several starters due to injury or suspension. Adam Robinson was the offensive star, rushing for 109 yards and 25 carries and scoring three touchdowns. Eastern's only score came after the Panthers successfully executed a fake punt. Other than that letdown, Iowa's defense was pretty much in total control and extremely physical. Another emerging storyline was the debut of true freshman place kicker Michael Meyer, who consistently puts his kickoffs in their in the end zone or close to it, a weapon that could become very crucial for the Hawks as the season unfolds. The only scary moment came in the second quarter when quarterback Ricky Stanzi slipped and suffered an apparent left knee injury and had to leave the game, but he returned to a rousing ovation after missing just one series and is okay. 
The Hawks now turn their attention to the Cyclones, also coming into next Saturday's game following an opening victory in Ames over Northern Illinois. The only real controversy surrounding last weekend was the university's new tailgating and search policies and their sometimes harsh enforcement. Many fans, including major contributors, were left fuming and reportedly have been bombarding university and athletic department administrators with their complaints. It will be interesting to see what, if any, changes are made as a result of this, especially with the crowd expected Saturday for the Iowa State game. Mm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Hawkeyesmike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. Taking a look at postgame notes and key stats, the Iowa-Eastern Illinois game represented the 43rd sellout in the last 46 games for the Hawks. All games this season are sold out as a result of season ticket sales, and that's the earliest that has ever happened in memory. Iowa improved to 89-31-2 in season opening games, winning 10 straight. Under Kirk Ferentz overall, the Hawks are 10-2 in home openers. Six true freshmen saw action in this game, and the Hawks had seven players starting for their first time. Senior QB Ricky Stanzi completed 18 of 23 passes for 229 yards, importantly, with no interceptions. He also completed his first nine passes in the game. Three tight ends combined for eight catches and 113 yards and a TD. Overall, 10 different Hawks had at least one reception. Defensive tackle Carl Krug and linebacker Tyler Nielsen each got a team-high six tackles. As a team, the Hawks had seven tackles for loss and recorded two sacks. Iowa was four of six in the red zone and now is a combined 48 of 56 in the red zone over the last 17 games. Key stats, first downs, Iowa had 24 to the Panthers 6. Net yards rushing, 179 for the Hawks to 65 for Eastern Illinois. Net yards passing, 256 for Iowa, 92 for the Panthers. Total offense, 435 for the Hawks versus 157 for Eastern Illinois. Possession time, Iowa had the ball for 32 minutes and 18 seconds. The Panthers, 27-42. Third down conversions, the Hawks 7 of 11. Eastern Illinois, 3 of 13. Fourth down here for the Panthers, and they're going to punt it away. And the punt's blocked! The Hawkeyes with a special teams play of the day. A punt block, scoop, and score for Iowa. And it was Paki O'Meara that got the job done. Special teams standout for the Hawkeyes. It's the danger with this rugby-style kick, Tom. You just float to the side ever so slightly. Sets you up for a possible punt block. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ooh, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. Visit prefins.com. 
Time now to hear from the opposing coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz discusses the Iowa-Iowa State rivalry. You know, first of all, I think everybody's hopeful this series continues for a long time. Uh, and that, that probably got established back in the 70s, late 70s. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of interest in it when it began again in, in the late 70s. And, you know, it's been a, a great series, you know, my involvement wasn't so much uh, fun on the front end back in the early 80s. You know, I think I got here in time for a loss two and three out of three straight. And uh, when I got back here in 99, same thing. You know, we were really uh, struggling. And, you know, it's, it's been one of those series where both teams uh, have been, been very competitive and they've had some excellent football teams. And uh, I think they've got an excellent football team this year. So, you know, we're going to have to be at our best. Kirk talks about getting Jewel Hampton back. Yeah, you hate to see any player miss time because of injuries. Um, you know, it's just it's, it's an unfortunate part of the game, but it's a reality also. So just really pleased that he's able to come back. He's worked extremely hard. You know, now you just hope that he can move forward without any issues, and there's no reason to think that he won't. So unfortunately, uh, season-ending injuries can be part of a, a player's career. We've seen that numerous times. And, you know, you deal with it and uh, do all you can. So, yeah, we're really happy for him, happy for the way he's worked. And, It'll be good to have him back on the on the on the field with us. Ferentz was asked about his impressions of the Iowa State program under second-year head coach Paul Rhodes. I mean, first thing is, you know, he's excited to be there uh, for obvious reasons. He grew up uh, just down the road, and he had coached there, so there, there are two links right there from the from the get-go. You know, I know he was very enthused about coming back, and and uh, you know, I think that's really shown. It seems like they've. He put a good staff together first and foremost. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm an outsider looking in, but it looks like they've really gelled uh, and worked well together. You know, and then the, the most importantly, the players have responded to him. And I think that's what we saw last year uh, as the season went on. You know, they, they won uh, some some big games. You know, certainly to travel over to Nebraska and win in that environment. You know, that kind of to me says it all right there. And yeah, you get a victory like that early in your uh, tenure. Well, that's, that's really a a real positive. You know, uh, it certainly didn't happen to us in our first year, that's for sure. So that, that gets everybody believing a lot faster. And then, you know, you get a little bit of momentum. And then to win a bowl game in your first year, too, says an awful lot. And you know, again, as we know, we didn't uh, cross that bridge till three years down the road. So it's, you know, I think they're off to a great, great start. They played well and looked good the other night. And, you know, they, they should have a great year. Coach Ferentz talks about coaching at the University of Iowa and his new contract extension. You know, I just feel extremely fortunate, and I always have. I felt uh, very fortunate to come here in 1981, and uh, you know, it's just it's uh, I've enjoyed a lot more days than I haven't. You know, coaching here in, in both as an assistant and as a uh, head coach, and you know, I'm just uh, thrilled to death. So I'm uh, and, and very appreciative. You know, the the uh, support that Gary Barter and uh, President Mason have shown in our entire staff is is very appreciative, very much appreciated. And you know, we're going to do our best to fulfill that uh, that obligation. But we're, we're excited to be here. And Kirk was asked if this really amounts to a lifetime contract. Yeah, I just uh, remember first thing that comes to mind is Coach Fry's quote, which he reminded me the other day that, you know, he had a lifetime contract at SMU and they pronounced him legally dead and moved him right out of there. So, yeah, they're, they're, you know, lifetime in coaching is a season, really. I hope to make it to the end of the year. That's one of my goals. I haven't told people for a long time. I really like it here. Nobody wants to believe you sometimes. But, uh, I, yeah, we've enjoyed our life here a lot on, on two levels, you know, professionally and personal, and those are both important. If you can have them both, well, it's a, it's a a pretty good deal.
Next up, Iowa State head coach Paul Rhodes, who talks about the play of his quarterback, Austin Arnott, in Iowa State's opening game. Very good. Small amount of, of inconsistency. He threw uh, uh, two bad interceptions, and they were bad decisions on his part and, and, and bad balls on his part, but he threw for 75% accuracy with 36 thrown balls, um, which is something he didn't do a year ago. He, some, some of those 27 completions were, were outstanding balls. He did a great job of, of executing and running the offense. He did a nice job of, of running the football. Very pleased with Austin's first performance. Rhodes was asked what he learned from reviewing the video of the game against Northern Illinois. Oh, we tackled better than, than I probably thought we did. We missed uh, uh, 14 tackles overall, but they came in, in bunches when, when they did, and there were a number of plays in a row at times that they did. So I, I thought we'd, we'd maybe missed upwards of 18 to 20. Um, and, and overall, we tackled better than I thought we did. I think defensively, we ran around real good, played with outstanding effort. I think our execution offensively at times was really sharp, and then we took our foot off the gas and did not, especially in the third quarter. Rhodes talks about Iowa's defensive line. I think they just play extremely well. They're not a flashy team, and they're not a flashy team by their own account. They've got a front four that, that is as good as any front four in the country, if not the best front four in the country. They've got a coordinator who, who really does a fantastic job, as well as an entire defensive staff, at, at preparing their kids. Uh, there's something to be said about uh, doing something over and over and over and doing it really well, and that's the University of Iowa. Road talks about the Cyclones star running back Alexander Robinson and what he brings to the game. Well, he, he's, he's going to be around for all 60 minutes of the game. By that I mean sometimes he, he, he appears to be running tentative, um, just very methodical in how he approaches the game, and, and, and then it's two yards and it's three yards and it's three yards, and, and a lot of times something is being accomplished with those two-yard and three-yard runs, whether it's wearing a team out, whether it's your offense starting to figure out what they have to do to be successful, and then all of a sudden it becomes five and eight and, and occasionally a 63-yard run. He, he catches the ball very well. Um, he understands leverage when it comes to the passing game. He picks up uh, uh, blitzes and pressures and, and pass protection. He's a very intelligent player. Vandenberg hands off to Robinson again, his 10th carry of the day, and he carries some defenders with him, and he powers his way towards the five. It wasn't just Robinson. He had a convoy of offensive linemen helping carry the pile for an Iowa first down. 15-yard pickup. We welcome back former Hawkeye and NFL star Marv Cook for his weekly stint on Hawkeye's Mike. Sean Patchett visits with Marv. Compared to others recently, how impressive was this season opening win for the Hawks and what can you really take away from a game like that? A typical Hawkeye game. I mean, they do what they have to do to win those games. Um, really nothing flashy about it. You'd like to see more big plays, but you know, I think it's one of those things where they literally could have called any play in the playbook and it would have worked uh, for the most part. We were just, we were just better. Than, than Eastern Illinois, so, uh, but it was, you know, very journeyman, workmanlike, and, and, you know, they got it done. It looks like Iowa has discovered a pretty decent kickoff man and true freshman Mike Meyer. Talk a little bit about him and the importance to the defense when your kickoffs are consistently deep or going into the end zone. It's huge. I mean, it's, you can add an extra 10 or 15 yards, which is a, a, a full series of downs, and a, you know, one more series that a defense can stop an offense, uh, you know, going three and out, so. 
that's obviously you know field position is critical in a game, and, and, the, and especially as you get into the bigger games. And to have somebody kick it in the end zone consistently is an amazing weapon. Focusing on the defense, apparently the Hawks are going to rotate in several guys on the D-line and move players from position to position a little bit. How do you think that will impact the play of the defensive line, and what challenges does it pose for the players who will be moving back and forth from the interior to the end? Well, I think early that's a lot. That happens a lot. I think you need to try to figure out what who's who's best suited for certain positions, and and as you're de developing depth and giving guys rotations, you're looking for your best, you know, core eleven. And and so ultimately, I think the first two or three weeks there will be a lot of that. But then you, I think you'll see as we get into the Big Ten season that that'll start. To, to wind down and guys will get settled in at certain positions and they won't try to uh, do too much uh, changing of, of the guard per se. But, you know, there are probably one or two players that will have to be able to be flexible and, and, and you know, step into a will or inside backer position periodically. But, but for the most part, I think you want to lock your key positions down and make sure that they get used to playing that position. Given Adam Robinson's performance last week and last season, and now with Jewel Hampton coming back, how would you try to utilize both of them going forward, and what do you expect to see out of that position? Well, I think a lot like we did last year with you know Weigert and, and Robinson. Uh, you know, Robinson's a great back. I love him. I think he's very elusive. He's hard to tackle in the open field. And, and from everything I've been hearing about Jewel Hampton, is he, he's a step above everybody else. I mean, he's you know he may be one of the best running backs we've had in a while, and it's just a matter of whether he can stay healthy. So I just think you got to continue to use both of them. You know, we are a heavy run team that leads to play action, so I think, you know, there's enough snaps, especially early with Hampton getting him back into game shape uh, for both of them. Assess Ricky Stanzi's performance. What do you think he learned from last season, and what do you predict for him this year? Well, I, I think the thing he does well is he distributes the ball well. I mean, he throws it all over the place as far as uh, getting different receivers involved in the running game and the passing game. and. You know, it was good to see a couple reverses in there, just to get the receivers involved in there as well. So, you know, I, I think I think his decision making will be better. I mean, I think it's going to be a lot of it's going to be subject to the protection. Obviously, if you have a really good solid pocket, it's easy to make better decisions versus when you're getting a lot of blitzes. But uh, you know, I think that's something that he'll continue to get better at. But I think he's you know the experience of being able to go back and evaluate all the game films from last year, look at the upcoming schedule and, and checking their defenses out and really scouting the, the defenses that uh, you know he's going to be going against. I think he's going to be even that much better this year. Since this is our first show of the season, what trend should Iowa fans look for as the season unfolds and what is your season prediction for the Hawks? You know, I, I just want to see a group of guys that, that get after it, play with passion. And, and what I'd like to see is a, is a team that's going to start putting people away. And, and, and when you have a superior team, which I think we should a lot in a lot of these games this season. You win by 30, you know, you win by 40, you win by 50. Um, you know, that's what I would like to see is is the the playmakers making up big plays and the defense to absolutely shut the door down that, you know, that the, the teams that aren't as good don't have a chance to, to hang around in the third and fourth quarter. And then, you know, a fluke bounce of the ball, you lose a game. And that's you know, that's what I want to see with, with these guys is the ability to put teams away and, and uh, to really dominate. What do you think of the addition of Nebraska to the Big Ten and of the alignment of the two divisions and the addition of a title game beginning next year? Uh, you know, I, I like the title game. I, I love the title game. I actually wish the conference maybe would have got bigger. I mean, I'd like to see a Notre Dame in there or uh, maybe, you know, another one or three teams into the mix. The schedule is unique now and then it splits up a lot of great rivalries unfortunately, but uh, that's just kind of the wave of the future, you know, and you have to develop some new rivalries going forward, but 
you know, I, I think it, you know, selfishly it would have been great to see an eight, a 16 team conference, you know, where you got eight teams on each side and, you know, and then you really get seven, you know, in-season games and then you can go schedule your four or five non-conference games if you wanted or you can cross over with two or three per year. But, but you know, it's, it is what it is and it's the way of the future and I think in the big picture if Iowa ever wants to win a national championship, it's the kind of thing that could help them, you know, if they do end up winning the Big Ten getting a chance to play in the championship game and they're undefeated, it's the kind of game that'll propel them into you know, one or two spot in the BCS. Let's divert for a minute. As coach of Regina, last week had to be one of your biggest wins. Talk a little bit about the importance of beating Solon and what it means to your program. Well, for us, you know, we, we, we've always known that Solon had set the bar very, 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 very high. Um, obviously three straight wins in the state championship game and the prior year they were in the, in the state finals. So, uh, you know, we knew how good they had been. They lost a lot of players. It was fun to watch James Morris play on Saturday at Iowa versus Friday nights in Eastern Iowa. So, um, but for us, it was a huge win. It was great for our kids. They worked extremely hard in the weight room in the off season and doing the things we've asked them to do. So, uh, for us, we're trying to use it as a stepping stone to, to move forward and then hopefully on to bigger and better things. All right, turning to this week's game, what's your sense of the Cyclones this year? You know, I, I, I really, really like Coach Rhodes. I've met him a couple of times. I think, he's a, I think he's a great fit for that program and, and what they're trying to accomplish. And, and I think the rivalry's back. I think they had a great season last year. I think they got an experienced quarterback. And, uh, you know, they got a system that's going to challenge you defensively. It's going to be on the ball, up-tempo, uh, not allow you to make substitutions and, and, and make a lot of adjustments in the secondary and the front. So I think it's going to be a good challenge for the Hawks. That being the case, the continuity that Iowa's had over the last 11 years has been amazing. And I think that consistency and, and I think Iowa State's still going to have some speed bumps with, with their systems coming in with Coach Rhodes and, and the new staff. So, and, I, and I think Iowa's still just deeper. I think Iowa's personnel is, is just better. So, uh, and then obviously the advantage at Kinnick Stadium. So I mean, I, I think it's an Iowa game to win all the way. But you know, the one thing that anytime you do play Iowa State, you have to match their intensity. You have to be ready to go and uh, you know be ready to to make the breaks you know I mean a lot of times you say well it looks like they know what you're doing it's a lot of times no it's just they're out playing you they're out hustling you and they're getting there a little bit quicker than than you are so they just have to be ready to play in 100 miles an hour and you know be checked in locked in. Earlier Pat mentioned that Iowa has a tendency you know before this game they hear you know we're the biggest school so they kind of convince themselves we have to win we have to win and that leads Iowa to coming out flat. Do you agree with that at all? The expectations are that we should win, obviously, on paper. But, you know, the, the, what do you play, 11 or 12 games? And if you can't get up for tw a 12-game schedule every single Saturday, then that's just something wrong with you as a, as a, as a college football player. Uh, I, don't care who, I don't care who the competition was. Last week, Eastern Illinois was an opportunity. Each play was an opportunity to showcase your skills as an athlete. And if you can't get excited and upbeat about that, then you're probably in the wrong game. So, you know, like I said, the one thing that a team that's ready, prepared, plays aggressively and gets after you, they make you look flat. They make you look sluggish. And so that's why you need to be able to, to match that intensity and be ready to go and be sharp and, and uh, you know, effectively execute the game plan. Iowa State has a huge offensive line. Iowa will face other teams later in the season that also have big lines. How does a defensive line like Iowa's cope with that? What kind of techniques will they try to use to avoid getting tied up with 
linemen that size, especially since Iowa State ran the ball so effectively last year against the Hawks? Well, I mean, these guys are used to seeing big guys in the Big Ten. You know, Ohio State's big historically, and, and, and you know, it's, it's hard to see what you can't, it's hard to hit what you can't get at, you know, and, and Claiborne and, and the guys are, you know, play with great leverage. They play with great, uh, you know, pad level. So, you know, the, the, this is nothing they haven't seen, and I think the, the speed of Iowa's defensive front will be a problem for Iowa State uh, and the activeness with which they get after it. Now, Iowa State's smart. They know what their weaknesses are. You always, you play to your strengths and hide your weaknesses. So that being the case, you know, with, with um, you know, Claiborne and the guys rushing the quarterback, expect to see a lot of quick game. I don't think anybody can block Claiborne right now and keep him away from the quarterback for more than three and a half seconds. So I think you'll see a lot of quick throws. Uh, and stuff like that. So now the defense needs to come up and be a little bit tighter in those zone coverages. But, but that being the case, I mean, yeah, you got to be careful because if if they if Iowa State's able to put with their up tempo offense consistent drives together, where it's eight, nine, ten, twelve play drives, that can wear on a defense, especially early in the season. Now, week seven, eight, nine, the, the conditioning, the game conditioning is all up to speed. But week one, two, and three, it's tough. I mean, it's if you have to go 85, 90 snaps in week one or two. It's difficult. What are your keys to the game, and what's your prediction for a final score? For a game like this, it's going to come down to special teams. It's going to come down to turnovers uh, and, and playing clean football. And the team that ultimately does that, I think, will have the best advantage. I mean, the advantage we've had the last couple of years is, is Arnott has had struggled. He's, he's thrown interceptions. He's he's uh, you know, which is out of character for him. You know, and those are the types of things that are going to win and lose games early in the season. And, and I think the key is to eliminate those mistakes offensively for Iowa, but then also try to create them defensively for the Hawks. So, uh, and then turnovers and special teams. Um, you know, just you don't want any breakdowns of big returns, block punts, those types of things. And then just, I think the true key is just to be able to understand that this is an in-state rivalry. It's back. Iowa State had a great season last year. They're looking to take a step up from where they were. Um, and. Uh, you have to be able to match that intensity. Uh, Pat said earlier that Norm Parker seems to have Arnott's number. Is, do you agree with that? Can something like that happen? Can a defensive coordinator figure out a quarterback? Or it's not necessarily the quarterback. It may be the schemes. You know, I mean, certain certain coverages are, are conducive to uh, uh, you know, or certain offenses want to throw the ball in certain areas, and if you have a, a certain defense that's going to get guys into that area at, at different times, that can be a problem. And then I think a lot of it's just, you know, the success we've had has been based off a of pass rush. And if you can get consistent pressure on a quarterback, that's, we talked about it with Stanzi. I mean, it's, it's so much easier when you're in the pocket and there's no one around to be able to find the guy and hit the curl and, and hit it on the right shoulder versus, you know, now you're in the pocket, there's a guy in your face, there's a linebacker flashing, and you're, now you're trying to throw it. And if you throw it on the wrong shoulder, well, now the, you know, the flat coverage guy is able to make the play versus, uh, the receivers. So, I mean, the little things like that are, are make a big difference. And so I think it's been the pressure that we've been able to put on him that's forced him into some bad throws. Do you have an idea for a final score? I'd have to say, you know, I, I guess I would be thinking like 28 to uh, 10, something like that. I mean, 28-7 maybe. I mean, I don't, I, I think, uh, you know, I think the defense is going to start getting a little bit better and better and the offense I think is going to start making some bigger plays with DJK and Marvin McNutt and those guys. So, and with the addition of Jewel Hampton being back in the running game, I think that'll help a lot as well. Hasn't been easy. It won't be easy. Six and a half yards a carry for Robinson. Two scores already today. Robinson. Nifty move. 
Johnson has a hat trick here in the first half. Time now for the Big Ten Notebook. Going into week two of the 2010 season, the Big Ten now has four teams ranked in the top 20 in the two major polls. In addition to the Hawks at number nine in both polls, Ohio State remains at number two, while Wisconsin is ranked 11th, and Penn State is 18th in the AP poll and 14th in the coaches poll. Big Ten teams won nine of 11 games in the opening week, with only Illinois falling to Missouri and Purdue losing at Notre Dame. We're going to get an early indicator of just how good the conference might be after this week there are major games on Saturday. In addition to Iowa hosting Iowa State, Ohio State is at home against Miami, and that's the Miami from Florida, not Miami of Ohio. Penn State travels to number one ranked Alabama, and Michigan plays at Notre Dame. How these games turn out will likely set the early perception of the conference. Wins could be very important down the road as the season unfolds. One other note, Iowa's Packy O'Meara was named Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week for the blocked punt, which he returned 42 yards for a touchdown against Eastern Illinois. Nice recognition for one of the hardest working members of the Hawks. Now our new segment, Reporter's Roundtable, with Pat Hardy and Rob Howe. You can read Pat's articles and columns in the Iowa City Press Citizen and on Hawk Central. You can check out Rob's features at HawkeyeInsider.com. Sean Patchett visits with Pat and Rob about last week's game in this Saturday's contest. As season openers go, this was a pretty clean game overall for Iowa and one of the better ones in recent memory. The offense was efficient, the defense swarmed, no significant injuries, and only two minor penalties. You know, I've been asked this question on radio shows this week. What do you take out of this game against Eastern Illinois? It's tough to say. It's tough to say with an opening opponent. I, I think Kirk was pleased with what he saw, but tough to evaluate when you're, you're playing an opponent that's inferior. Let's let's face it. So I, I think you, you use it as confidence, you use it as a first step, but I think we we see this week and next week really what this team's made of. I mean, it is better than last year's result. You remember the feeling after the Northern Iowa game, but who says that Northern Iowa game didn't propel this team? After that, maybe it was a wake-up call. And I think they did some good things. They could have probably won by 51. To stay. I mean, they fumbled at the one-yard line and then the game ended with them almost. I mean, the score was, they took care of things. Stainsy didn't get hurt, but the offense in the second half is pretty ordinary. So I think there's things for them to work on, but they won by enough to keep the worrisome fans quiet for at least a week. But we won't know, like Rob said, until really this week. Yeah, it's hard to say. Last year, UNI could have propelled them. And then you look at 2007, they open it. Was that at Northern Illinois? Against Northern, Northern Illinois, Illinois in, in uh, Soldier, Field. Soldier Field. Everybody was feeling good that, you know, after what happened in 2006, and then they got off to that start in 2007 at Soldier Field was a a decent win they were able to run the ball they were yeah. able to run the ball they played pretty well defensively but it was not an indication no. of what was to come just like last year was an indication yeah. of what was to so come. you just got to wait and see well if you're iowa what do you focus on after that game and if you're iowa state what do you take away well i think if you're iowa you mean what do you focus on the the offense to me got a little stagnant in the second half i think there were some times where the passing game kind of bogged down they didn't really use the receivers a whole lot but that may have been part of the plan they maybe I mean Kirk will never admit that they were hiding a lot of their offense but they didn't really use the receivers much and there's always stuff to work on and as far as Iowa State 
I think the big thing with Iowa, and those guys kept getting reminded by us yesterday, they gave up 190 rushing yards against them last year. I mean, I, and with Iowa State, to me, that's what you build on. They can run the ball. They feel they can run the ball. And they might have the best running back in the state, Iowa State. I just wonder how much of an effect Stanzi coming out of the game last week. It seemed like they were in a decent flow at that point. He goes down. No, you know, people aren't sure what's going on with the injury. You could see his teammates were kind of hovering around, seeing how he was going. It seemed like that kind of slowed them up a little bit. And Stanzi talked about it at the press conference this week. They need to be more consistent on offense. And I just get the sense the seniors on this team, even some of the juniors, were here in 2006 and 2007. They kind of know what this, you know, they know not to let up on the gas. They know that if they take things for granted, they can slip up and be home for the holidays. So I don't get a sense that anybody on this team will, will overlook Iowa State, and that's probably a good thing. And let's not forget, it is a home game for Iowa, who's pretty good at home. So is it a 14-point game like the spread says? Uh, it's going to be interesting because this is not a bad Iowa State team, and there's been some bad Iowa State teams that have played well in this game. This is a team to me that their schedule's off tougher this year, I think, than last year, but it's still a team – that could win six or seven games. It's coming off a bowl game victory, granted, against Minnesota. But still, there's been a lot worse Iowa State teams. So I think they'll have their attention. It's just going to be so many times Iowa comes out in this game. I'm not saying they are flat, but they play like they're flat early on, like they're just... It's okay, every. It seems like every, every time they We have to Iowa win this State. game. We have to win this game. We've been reading all week. We're the bigger school. We're the better team. We have to win, and they come out and press. It seems like if you, know, if you watch the Boise State game the other night, it seemed like the Virginia Tech, Tech, exactly. Tech kids came out flat because it's the it's a BCS school, whereas Boise was ready to go from the jump, yep. and they really won that game early. It was even after that first quarter, and it seems like every year Iowa State is the team that comes out more fired up. So yep. can Iowa withstand that early flirt? And last year they gave up six turnovers, and I don't see that happen again this year. And well, I think Norm Parker's had Austin Arnod's number. Are the Iowa defensive coaches in his head? This that that to me is the key. True. Is is he gonna you know use that past as motivation, or is he gonna continue to struggle? It'll be interesting. Adam Robinson had a very nice game. Now Jewel Hampton comes back. What do you expect to see at that position going into this week's game and for the rest of the season? You know, Kirk's a real real loyal guy, and and Adam Robinson has shown despite what people may say on the outside that they're waiting for the next guy to come in uh, to replace him. I think he and his teammates understand his value to this team. The kid doesn't fumble the ball. He does the little things. He blocks. He can catch the ball. Um, he understands the offense. I just I can't see Hampton coming in and right out of the gate it being a 50-50 split. I think Robinson's going to get the bulk of the carries. At least in this first game, I could see maybe two series for Robinson and then Hampton maybe in that third series, and they'll go from there. Like Kirk, I believe Kirk, when he says, we'll kind of see how things go from there. Yeah, I think they'll feel each game out, and I think with this one, I agree with Rob. Early on, I think some fans may be under the impression that Jewel Hampton's going to come out in that first series, and that's not going to happen, and he shouldn't. And I think he'd probably even tell you. Adam did nothing to lose his starting position. He probably solidified it. I think you'll see Robinson 20 carries on Saturday, maybe Hampton 10 to 15, something like that. They'll get maybe 30 carries between the two of them, and we'll see who's got the hot hand. If Hampton all of a sudden rips off two big touchdown runs early in the game, then maybe we'll see more of him. But Robinson blocks too well. He shows that he can catch the ball, and he's just too good. I think in an ideal situation, they're both going to carry the ball 15 to 20 times a game. And I think Iowa State's going to make Stansy beat him. 
I do. do I, I don't I, think I was going to be able to run the ball. I really don't yeah. for some reason. I just don't think that, even though they're more physical and even though we may watch Iowa State playing some games down the road, Iowa has trouble sometimes running the ball. And when they do run the ball, I think in 07, they ran the ball. Then now we're young, have a ton of yards, and they lost. Yeah. So, yeah, I think Stancy's going to have to throw a couple touchdown passes, and I think they're going to blitz him. And you know that they're going to be looking for that pick six on the in the flank. And there's still new three new starters on that offensive line. Yep. Iowa State's going to challenge them a lot more than Eastern Illinois did. Yep. And it's hard to say to get a read on how good the offensive line was in run blocking because Adam Robinson gets hit you know, on the first like or pinball. second level, and he just carries guy. It was, it was hard to see what type of holes were being opened up. So I think we'll get a better idea of Iowa's offensive line this week, too. Well, looking around the Big Ten, we have some tough games. We have Iowa, Iowa State, Penn State traveling to Alabama, Michigan at Notre Dame, and Ohio State hosts Miami. How much do you think we'll know about the conference as a whole after this weekend? I think we already know Ohio State's... I mean, if Ohio State comes out and loses to Miami, I'll be very surprised. It's there. Michigan, Notre Dame... If Michigan steamrolls Notre Dame, then I think we're, it's safe to say Michigan is going to be somebody that has to be dealt with this year. But if Notre Dame comes out and wins that game, then I'm saying Michigan still, because I'm not convinced either one. Now, the other, what were the other ones? Joe Pa. Joe Pa's in trouble. Joe Pa's in big trouble. They're not, they got a true freshman starting the quarterback. That game could get ugly, but that still doesn't mean Penn State's not going to win eight or nine games this year. And then what was the other one, the last one? Iowa State. Outside of here, I don't think. Do you think a lot of people care? In it's an a, I'm surprised it's an ABC game. I really am too. I think with Iowa, you're still not going to know if if Iowa dominates Iowa State. I still don't think that tells you for sure what they're going to do in the Big Ten. You just don't know. This game. Yeah, you just, just you just don't know. It's kind of like the opener. You don't know what you know that Iowa State game means for the rest of the season. I I think that to me that Michigan because I expect Ohio State to win that so Michigan at Notre Dame game to me is really that could be the game that people look at nationally and say okay because Michigan is the Big Ten. We went through this with the expansion. Yep. We went through this with the divisions. People look at Michigan and Ohio State as the marquee programs in the Big Ten. If Mich- Michigan can show its back. That goes a long way in the national perception of this league. It also makes me feel better about my 9-3 prediction, because <laughs> I have Iowa losing at Michigan. You've both written about the new divisions and alignment in the Big Ten. How do you think Iowa fared, and do you think this is about as reasonable a decision they could have come up with? Depends on who you ask. If you ask Wisconsin, I don't think they think it's reasonable, uh, you know, getting sent to whatever it is. They're in the X or the O division, East or West, however they're going to, to name these divisions. For Iowa, I think Iowa made out great. I mean, you end up with a, you know, after Thanksgiving game with Nebraska. Um, you got a game at Penn State next year. Uh, the Purdue cross-divisional rivalry, that's goofy. But really, when you look at it, each team kind of had to give up something to get something. And Iowa was able to keep its rivalry with Minnesota. Uh, it loses its rivalry with Wisconsin for a few years. Um, but... You know, Michigan State against Indiana is not a real heavy, <laughs> will be a really heavily watched crossover game either. So I think they did a good job with it. They made the they made the decision they were going to go, you know, make the plunge and break this into divisions and have a championship game. I'm interested to see how it works out. I think nine out of the last, or nine of the 12 years of the BCS, the Big Tens had two representatives in BCS bowls. 
I think that could be in jeopardy here with the divisions and the championship game. I figure with Ohio State, they'll never be bad in football. They don't have to go through Ohio State, at least to get to the Big Ten championship game, which is a big thing. So to me, that's good. And perception-wise, like Rob said, Wisconsin's the school that it looks like kind of got messed with a little bit. Even though it's not that big of a deal travel-wise, it's still, okay, they're the team that everyone thinks was sent that way. So that makes Iowa look pretty good from there. And I personally, if I would have had my way, it would have been split down, straight down the middle, east-west, geographically, at least to give it a chance to try, because I still think there's a good rivalry mentality when you use geography east versus west. I think it would have helped the championship game, but then you would have had Michigan and Ohio State in the same division, and the Big Ten was not going to let that happen now. So I guess you just move on and accept it, and for the most part, I think Iowa got off pretty good. Well, there may be a bit of a generational difference on this next one, but from an Iowa perspective, would you rather have kept the Minnesota rivalry or the Wisconsin rivalry? That's a tough call. I obviously, competitive, competitively, the Wisconsin series has been better. But, um, you know, there's a lot of history with that Minnesota game, with why it was played and, you know, the, you know, the racial factors that went into Floyd and Rosedale and different things like that. I don't think Minnesota is going to be this down forever. I think they have the opportunity. You get the right coach in there to be good again. And to me, the Floyd of Rosedale trophy means more to Iowa fans than the, the Heartland trophy. Maybe I'm off on that. No, I agree with that. I mean, I think Wisconsin's actually a better rivalry, but right now you sacrifice that because of what Floyd of Rosedale means and the Ozzie Simmons racial stuff. There's just too much history involved with that game to give it up. And it is, I mean, it's actually easy for us because Iowa usually wins and Minnesota, right lately, they don't even score. So, but they're not going to be down eventually. Brewster's either going to get it done this year and show some major progress, or I think he might be gone. And then the, eventually they're going to hit it right with the right coach. And they're going to be good again. And They'll so, yeah. stop losing guys like Michael Floyd and Sean yeah. Trail Henderson and some of the best players from Minnesota if they can keep kids like that in yeah. state. Yeah, think about it. Even the Broderick Benz, yeah. how much they would help them. I mean, there's some good players in Minnesota. Pat, you wrote a column this week about the new contract for Kirk Ferentz. Can you talk a little bit about that, what it means for Ferentz and what it means for Iowa? It means that he has a lot more money than he already had, and he had a lot of money to begin with. It means that his wife has control of an even bigger bigger empire. The way Kirk made it sound like is that Mary runs the financial show, and that doesn't surprise me. I could see him being, being that way, just football. And, and it means better security perception-wise, but the one thing people still need to realize is if he wanted to coach the Pittsburgh Steelers next year, there's nothing in that contract stopping him from doing that. I don't think that will happen, but that's the great thing about it. This is a very coach-friendly contract, and he's earned it. I mean, it's security, but it's security on his terms, worth a lot of money, and it just looks good recruiting-wise now. I mean, I'm sure with Rob talking to a lot of these recruits, the head coach is signed through 2020, and he loves it here, and he's making almost $4 million a year. Think about the commitment that shows to the football program, and you can use that on recruiting. And they do use that on recruiting. They use, they sell that Iowa is, you know, college football is the pro football of the state. And they also use, look at how long our staff's been together. Look how yeah. long we've been at Iowa. Look at all the other coaching changes in the Big Ten that have occurred since Iowa. the Iowa staff has been at Iowa. Um, they don't have turnover with assistants leaving. Um, and now you put the contract out there that they're going to be there to till 2020. Uh, that's just, I mean, that's another feather in their cap when they go out on the recruiting trail. And let's face it, Kirk had a lifetime contract, I think, before anything was signed with this recent deal. He was going to go out on his own terms. And like Pat said, he's earned that. 
You know, he's he's carried on what Hayden did and taken it past that. So I always had, you know, instead of it being 20 years of, of you know, solid football, it's now 30 years and, you know, Iowa and its fans hope another 10 years. And he's going to end up being here. If he, you know, honors this whole contract all the way through, he'll pass Hayden Longer for longevity and, and probably wins. Longer than Hayden. Do you think the Longston of Hayden and Longston of Kirk, is that going to be appealing to another big-name coach come 2020 or whenever Kirk steps down? The program's like it is now, it will be. Yeah, I think what Kirk has done with facilities, I mean, the facilities are right there with most, most other schools in the country. This is going to be an attractive job because if they can continue to win like they want to win going to 2020, they'll be able to keep up their facilities with everybody else going forward, and that's going to make you know this job attractive for, for as long as uh, they keep winning. Now, there'll probably never be a school that gets like a Nick Saban, the hot phenom coach of the time. But they should get, like Rob said, a very good coach if the program is in. I mean, with Hayden's situation, it's not, I'm not suggesting he waited too long, but after that 98 season, they were 3-8. and eight. They, they were not people pounding the door down to get this job, but I think a part of it was the program. Now, like if Kirk were to leave this year, after this year, and they were coming off another, I think you'd have a very impressive list of people wanting this job. So, yeah, I think as long as they keep this program – I still am not convinced he's going to stay till 2020, but we'll see. And you go back, I mean, he'll be 65 at that point, and I don't know with the, I'll you know. I'll be 50, wow. <laughs> but if, I mean, you look at what happened when Hayden left, Kirk was not the first one that, that Bob Bowlesby wanted to get. We all know it was Bob Stoops, yep. but it'll be interesting to see when Kirk does decide to step down, do they go after a, you know, uh, an up-and-comer up or a hot coach, or do they go with a guy that knows Iowa? Do they know? Do they go with a guy that is a good fit? Kirk, you know, I think national people realize now how good of a fit Kirk is with this Iowa program. That's the key. And word. you know that because we've seen that that hasn't happened maybe with the basketball program. <laughs> uh, Rob on Hawkeye Insider, you focus a great deal on recruiting. Overall, how do you think recruiting is going this year versus uh, the recent past? And why do you think that's the case? Well, I just think that the clock on a national level has changed. Uh, you know, it used to be where kids wouldn't decide until after official visits in December and January. Now you have a bulk of kids that want to decide before they start their senior year of high school. And even before that, in the spring, sometimes kids decide. So, and I think that works well for, for Iowa. Um, they've taken advantage of that. Um, so you kind of get the bulk of your class in before your season starts, and then the home run kids, like you know, the the top 25, the top 50 kids in the nation that you're involved in, then you bring those guys in and maybe get a shot at them later in the process. Can you pick two or three biggest gets so far? That's a good question. I would say with how they've recruited, you know, in the last several years at the quarterback position. I think Jake Ruddick is, you know, not only is he a big get, but he's, it's going to be real important for how he comes in here and develops because in the last two years, A.J. Derby's the only scholarship quarterback that you have, depending on his development, you know, that's still up in the air. You, you could have a situation after Stanzi leaves this year where somebody aj ruddick one of these guys is going to probably have to play pretty early on and that's huge and then i just 
I've liked Ray Hamilton from Strongsville, Ohio, the tight end, since this recruiting process started. I think, as we saw on Saturday against Eastern Illinois, Iowa just loves to use the tight end. Pat talked about Andy working on a story about the history of the tight end under Kirk Ferentz. They've got three tight ends in this class, Henry Krieger Coble from Mount Pleasant, uh, Jake Doozy from Michigan, and Ray Hamilton from Strongsville, Ohio. And all three of these kids are just tremendous athletes, kind of in the mold of a C.J. Fedorowicz or uh, a Tony Moyaki, guys that just can do so many different things. And I just, I'm excited to see those guys come in. So I'd probably say those three and then Ruddick. Uh, Pat, you mentioned 9-3 a few minutes ago. But before we wrap up talking about the Iowa State game, this is the first show of the season. What are each of your season predictions for the Hawks? 9-3. Losses at Arizona, at Michigan, at home to Ohio State. I've felt that way for months now, and I'm sticking with it. We actually had the same preseason predictions, so we won't have to go too long on that. I just, I, I think those are, you know, and, and maybe they win one of those games that we think they're, that we've predicted they're going to lose, but then they could, I mean, they're, you know, I don't think their layups at Minnesota, Northwestern, or Indiana, I know those, you know, general perception might be that those are going to be layup games, mm-hmm. but I don't think, when you go on the road in the Big Ten, we've seen it through the years here, anything can happen. There are no layups for this team either under Ferentz. I mean, they win games, they're a work in progress throughout the season, so none of these games, rarely are these games, I mean, the Minnesota thing, that was an aberration a couple of years ago, that team was just on a roll feeding off Sean Green, but... I mean, the Minnesota game last year was 12 to nothing. They barely could score. And I mean, if you, you look at the week, you know, the, the games we predicted that Iowa will lose, Arizona, Ohio State, Michigan, those teams all looked really good in week one. They looked as good as Iowa in week one. So, you know, again, we'll find out in a lot the next few weeks as the competition picks up. If Iowa is to really have a season that meets expectations – what key trends should fans look for, both offensively and defensively? I, I'm ability to run the ball and Stancy protecting the ball. I mean, if they can run the ball and not turn the ball over, they're going to be a hard team to beat because I don't think their defense, unless it has injuries, is going to be bad. I mean, I don't think their defense – I think their defense – I know some people probably call this blasphemy, but I think their defense at times is a little overrated. They had some games last year. I mean, Michigan shredded them rushing lines. Iowa State ran for almost 200. And Ohio State had two backs that ran for almost 100 yards. I think the defense, if it can just be like it was last year, if the offense can run the ball in Stansy of Boyd's, maybe throws eight interceptions or less, they're going to be a tough team to beat. Yeah, I think turnovers are huge because the games are played so close with Iowa week in and week out. We talked about it. It really doesn't matter who they're playing against. Most most games are tight and go down to the, the end. And the one for me that I've talked about throughout the, the preseason and heading into the season is kicker. We yeah. still haven't seen – Moss Barker kicked extra points against Eastern Illinois. It was an issue last year. Now you've got Murray hurt. How's he going to respond to the injury and coming back? Moss Barker – you know, it was two years ago where there was a choice between Moss Brucker and Murray, and Kirk chose Murray, I think in large part because he felt like he was more level-headed. Moss Brucker's talked about this last year, him trying to get himself mentally prepared for this. That's a huge part. To, if You know, we've all talked to Nate Kading through the years, how much of a mental grind that is to be a kicker. Will these guys be able to come through? Because I think there are going to be a lot of nail-biting games this year, and it could come down to their, their feet. And this is no disrespect to the kickers, but I think the fact that you got two guys battling they haven't decided yet, it's not because both these guys are Jan Stenerud. It's because they don't have the consistency yet that they're looking for. If you had to pick two players from each team as the keys to the game, 
who would that be and why? I'm going to say Ricky Stanzi, and I'm going to say Riley Reef, just for the fact that Riley Reef will kind of symbolize who's winning the battle in the trenches. If he can protect Stanzi, and if Ricky has time to throw, I think I was going to win the game, and it'll be a big thing. I think defensive-wise, nobody to me, I mean, I guess I could say Tyler Sash after what he did last year, but they, I don't think they're going to have that happen again. To me, Iowa needs to, Iowa offensive line needs to control the line of scrimmage and give Stanzi time to do what he does, and I think they'll be okay. I'm going to say whoever that defensive end is for Iowa, whether it be Bins in there or Ballard with Daniels playing on the inside, however they decide that rotation, the read option being able to, to be disciplined on that front and because they still have two new linebackers there and they're going to make mistakes. That defensive line for Iowa last year did not play well against Iowa State. They And Kirk talked about this yesterday and, and I talked with Christian Ballard about this. They let the offense, big offensive linemen engage them. They didn't get off of those blocks and that's why they gave up almost 200 yards on the ground. If they do that again, it's going to be a long afternoon. So I think that defensive end spot, because I Claiborne I trust. He's He played well enough against Georgia Tech against the option. I feel like he's going to be fine in that situation. And then, uh, you know, I'd say Stanzi without question. I, they, he, needs to, he needs to play a good game. He needs to stay away from turnovers. Uh, and I would like to see him. He checked down a lot last week to the tight ends and, and threw them a lot. I would like to see them be able to stretch the field a little bit and maybe make some big plays against Iowa State. All right, final score prediction? I'm going to say Iowa 27-14. I'm close with that. I'm going to say Iowa 24-13. to All right, any other thoughts? We didn't mention DJK through the whole thing. No, but he's going to start this week. He's going to start, and he's the guy that can stretch the field and maybe return a kick to the 60 yards to kind of shift momentum. I think we'll see something more from him than we saw last week. You think it might set up one of those Andy Brodell moments? Turned on a punt return? Yeah, possibly. If they need an Andy Brodell moment to win this game, that's going to be pretty disappointing for a lot of Iowa fans because I think a lot of Iowa fans think this is going to be a not a cakewalk but that they're going to come in and basically assert themselves from the beginning and if they need something like that that game was what was that game like five to five going into the I mean they needed that to win the game I I don't know we'll see I think it's going to be more convincing than that but I think it's going to be a, a competitive game and turnovers are key that's going yeah. to be the six last year these coaches come into this game and they don't want to beat themselves. It, that's, it's, McCarney was the same way when he coached against Ferentz. Let's just play conservative and let the other guy make a mistake. And that's, I think that's going to be the same approach this week. That was brilliant. That is a live football. And it goes out of the back of the end zone. A safety for Iowa. A pass that was behind the line of scrimmage and a backwards pass left uncovered by the Panthers. Same as fumbling out of the back of the end zone. HawkeyesMike.com, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. www.HawkeyesMike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS.
Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Also, visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, the latest Hawkeye and Big Ten videos, and team schedules. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook. And don't forget, you can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs on Hawk Central, Hawkeye Insider, and in the Daily Iowa. And broadcast school has really paid off. Iowa hosts in-state FBS rival Iowa State this Saturday in a game that's important to both schools, but especially so for the Hawks this year, given the anticipation going into the season. And while Iowa is favored in this game, more often than not, it is close and usually comes down to a play or two or a turnover. This is the 58th game in the series, and Iowa now holds a 38-19 lead. The Hawks are 22-12 against Iowa State in games played in Kinnick Stadium, and the Hawks cruise to a 35-3 victory in last year's contest in Ames. The Cy Hawk Trophy is, once again, up for grabs. The Cyclones are coming off a surprisingly good 2009 season and a bowl win. Paul Rhodes and his staff are in their second year and appear to have the program headed in the right direction. They have a talented and veteran fifth-year quarterback in Austin Arnad, who is protected by a huge offensive line. Iowa will have to protect the ball and play a largely mistake-free game. With Jewel Hampton's return at running back, pairing with Adam Robinson, the Hawks' running game should be very effective, which will only make the passing game even better. Iowa's reconstructed offensive line will have to continue to improve. The play of Iowa's defensive line will be very interesting to watch. Remember, Iowa State racked up a lot of rushing yards against Iowa in last year's game, something the Hawks' D-line clearly remembers. Let's see how they respond Saturday. And of course, there is the streak. Iowa State has not managed to score a touchdown against Iowa since 2006, a stretch of 14 quarters. Even more interesting is the fact that the Cyclones have only run 20 plays inside the red zone in that period of time, and those plays have only resulted in a combined gain of 20 yards. If the Hawks are as good as many people think they are, they will win this game, plain and simple, no excuses. Hey! Is this heaven? No. It's Iowa. So Robinson and the Hawkeyes finish it up with a 30-point victory over Eastern Illinois. I know Hawkeye fans are certainly excited to see Adam Robinson put up huge numbers, and Kirk Ferentz is excited about the opportunity to have that two-headed monster because Jewel Hampton is likely the most electrifying player that they have in the backfield. So between him and Robinson, that's going to be what pushes the Iowa offense forward on the ground. The Hawkeyes win their 10th straight season opener, their 13th victory in their last 15 home games, and the Cyclones await. Our thanks again to the Big Ten Network for the game highlights this week. Once again, another nice job of capturing the excitement of Iowa football. And thanks to our regular contributors, Marv Cook, Pat Hardy, Rob Howe, and Sean Patchett. We hope you have enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate. By phoning and making your own voice heard, call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it.
This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.